fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mokel. My pronouns are he and him, and I am here with my vampiric co-hosts. My name is Cassidy. Uh, I go by they, them for them, their pronouns. <laughs> I've said that a few times. They now. slash them there. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm a ghoul, so I serve, um, the local vampire lord and lady, and uh, I do, like, you know, errands for them, odds and ends, odd jobs. Jesus, there's even vampire nobility? Well, they don't have actual noble titles, they just are kind of like, it's a respect thing. Hmm, I see. They do have all of the, like, physical power. Oh, God. (laughs) And so... Uh, they have all these employees. Our our uh, position title is ghoul, and um, so we do all these odd jobs for them, do their chores, uh, run errands for them, and someday they'll turn us into vampires. Oh wow! So you you have a plan. There's a career path. It's true. There's upward mobility. Seems like a sweet deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very smart. Built into the job. Wow, that's just great. Congratulations. I hear it worked out great for that Renfield fellow. Uh, Don't even get me started. (laughs) There's a lot of nuance to that people don't pick up on. Yeah. Oh, but I should probably introduce myself since I'm pitching in. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, a disembodied voice. That you're more right than you might expect because I'm Jack Olander. My pronouns are any and all. I'll take whatever you can get. Me. (laughs) And, uh... (laughs) Girls can have a little pronoun as a treat. Exactly. And, uh, I'm a a horrifying specter. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but I consider myself something of a a hero, kind of a superhero. Oh, yeah? Yeah. What kind of things do you do? Well, I'm more of an everyday hero. Oh, you could say my favorite kind. Well, every hero, you know, I'm sort of uh, how you say incorporeal. Right. I noticed that. Yeah. Walls don't do a lot to get in my way. Right. Right. And uh, I can be visible, invisible, kind of an intangible sort of meme. I I, I see when a conversation is uh, getting awkward and uh, I just I interrupt it. I spice up their day by just. Becoming visible, and I'm pretty horrifying oh, when, nice. I, when I apparate. Oh, I'm glad you're invisible right now, then. Yeah, and I, so... Otherwise, it might be kind of distracting for the show. Yeah, and so, you know, nothing spices up people's day like sudden supernatural horror. True. That's my grandma used to tell me that. Then they'll run away in terror rather than having to feel awkward for a few moments. Oh, so much better. That's right, and they'll have a story to share... With their therapists uh, <laughs> forever. <laughs> well, that seems like a great deal for everybody. But guys, why are we here today? Why? I'll tell you why. Because <laughs> we got to talk about a movie. Okay. Now, what movie? <laughs> now, it is the month of February, which I am told is the month of, um, let me look at my notes here, love? Thank goodness for you, Jamie, because without you, I think we would just banter and be distracted and then never talk about the things we're here to talk about i am going to manage this dungeon until the wheels fall off of the castle i guess (laughs) i love this metaphor 
Wow. But we're here to talk about love, as you said. We are here to talk about love in the distilled form of the film Only Lovers Left Alive. Ah, yes. Now, of course, this is a 2014 film by Jim Jarmusch, and it stars Tom Hiddleston, Tilda Swinton, and John Hurt. Yes. So this is, of course, a vampire romance story, you know, tale as old as time. But before we bite into a discussion about this movie, I think Cass has a little summary ready to go. That's right. Vampire sad boy, the end. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was going to say this is a movie about bohemian vegan vampires. (laughs) You blew my mind with that description. I get the bohemian part, but vegan? Well, in vampire lore... uh, (laughs) (laughs) I know what source you're citing right now. If, If... if you're a vegetarian or a vegan, it means that you don't, like, kill people directly. Okay, let me see if I can interpret this. If a vegetarian vampire from the film <laughs> Twilight is a vampire... Which we've covered on the show. ...who only eats animals, a vegan is a no-harm vampire who only gets blood from a blood bank because it was willingly donated? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Incredible. Also, they share it with others. So I guess there are freaking vampires also. Yeah, but I mean, Adam pays for it. He's not like dumpster diving this blood. That's true. He pays for this in fat stacks of cash. I which don't is know pretty much, how he gets this. I was like wondering the whole movie. How does he get all this money? The only denomination of currency Adam has is fat stack. Yes. It's the same with um, Eve. Yeah. She has currency from all over the world. She travels more. He kind of likes to be more sedentary. He's been in Detroit for years. Relatable. 80 years or something like that. Great Um, music scene. Yeah. Classic cars. They kind of love... Great pizza. I guess guess he's not there for the pizza, though. Nope. They're a little laissez-faire, but they're not like... They're more dilettantes than they are libertines. Right. Right. I was trying to figure out how to categorize them. That makes sense. I think Um, bohemian is a good description. Like, they're not super concerned with politics or goings on. Having a job. Having a job. I mean, Adam just likes to make music and kind of stay under the radar. And Eve likes to sit and get high on blood and just kind of like zone out. Read books. Oh, that's right. She reads books like a fucking fiend. Love it. Yeah, well, she seems to have the um, psychometry ability, which is you can know things by touching them. True. It's a psychic ability. She has, they, they both seem to have a very like strong, tactile sense of being able to like sense the age of something through touch. She just seems to be especially attuned to it. Yeah, it's true. Um, but she can also read like a page a second. Yeah, it's the psychometry. Oh, is that part of it? Too? Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, Great skill. Yeah. You can know about something just by touching it. So all she has to do is touch the page and she'll know everything that's on the page. 
Is that how that works? Yes. Wow. It's called psychometry. <laughs> I'm trying to tell you. I did not know that it involved reading by touch. You could touch anything and know about it. <laughs> but like you, I think you would know about like the paper, not the you words could. on the paper. She probably has to like filter out superfluous knowledge when she's trying to focus. Now, hold on. Wood pulp has some very interesting backstory, I'm sure. Okay. Oh, it does. <laughs> and psychometry could tell her. <laughs> But anyway, psychometry, what's that? <laughs> Adam and Eve are millennia old vampires. I just realized something. Those are the characters from the Bible. Yeah. I'm just kidding. True. I didn't just realize this. Um, nope. They're vampires. They are living apart for 80 years. That's like a blip to them. That's just like, you know, a short amount of time to people like us. They. It doesn't mean anything. They're married. They love each other deeply. They can't live without each other. But they can also. Yeah. Now, just a quick thing. Eve is millennia old, but I think Adam's like maybe 800. Maybe something like that. Yeah. He was from like the Renaissance or no. maybe a little bit before. So they started with a problematic young human old vampire dynamic <laughs> and now they're both old vampires. So it's no longer cringe. I guess so. <laughs> yeah. She, yeah, maybe maybe she turned him away or maybe she found him when he was already a vampire. We don't know that she fell in love with him before he was a vampire, do we? That, no, we don't know that. I don't think so. Well, their love and their enduring relationship is at the forefront of this film. They're the only lovers left alive. Yeah, it's kind yes. of like a slice of unlife, as Jack put it. Thank you for that. Jack. I love that description. That's what I said. <laughs> um, so they're just kind of living their lives. And, Unliving their lives. Yeah. Living their unlives. And it's Thank about you. the dynamic, the social dynamics. Unliving their unlives. And, <laughs> and customs of vampires. And it's really interesting. Yeah, they have an interesting melding of like kind of modern... I would say like progressive vampire and then stuck in the old ways. And they they can project and predict trends that will happen because they've been alive for so long. And in addition to that, they also know like the trends of flora and fauna. And like they are starting to see that because of climate change, uh, things are coming out not in their season and they're talking about the water wars happening, which are starting to happen. The gas wars were last, and next are the water wars. Mm-hmm. And so... And then's the water world. Yes. And they're also, like, having supply problems because... True. Uh, because of all the pollutants in the environment, human blood isn't as nourishing as it used to be for them, and in fact, sometimes it can poison them. Microplastics. Yep. Boom. Exactly. And Jim um, Jarmusch predicted microplastics. Type O negative is the best blood they can get, but it's hard to come by. And the best goth band you can get. Yeah. Um, and their supplies start to run dry and they also get run out of Detroit because of a little snafu. Uh, no, to be fair, like they assume that they got to leave Detroit, but we don't see any evidence that really like proves that other than Adam's just kind of edgy about like people being into his music. Well, they have to be cautious. 
You don't get to be their age without taking some precautions. Sure, but I mean, they threw Ian in the poop pit. They're probably fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Eve's sister, Ava, came to visit, and she's a, a train wreck of a vampire. She's a, <laughs> she's a real piece of work. <laughs> she drank Ian, man. Yeah. Not cool. She sucked him dry. Party bro. foul. And this was right after they were all seen in public at a... a like a metal club with him or a rock club. And so they figured they had to skedaddle. And so, yeah, the movie just kind of ends with them in Tangiers trying to figure out how to eat because they can't just drink anybody or they could die. So um, they find two lovers in the end and they decide to drink from them and turn them. And that's why Adam and Eve are the only lovers left alive. <laughs> it could be their last meal. They don't know, but they're they're going to die anyway. So they they're about to take the risk. And then that's the end. I think things are going to work out for these crazy kids. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I think it ends there because they they aren't the only lovers. They convert other lovers. Now there are two lo- set two sets of lovers left alive. Unless they killed yes. them on accident. Whoopsie! <laughs> All right, well that was a hell of a summary. Why don't we head into the delve? Welcome to the delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of. Only lovers left alive. So, guys, let's talk vampires. Okay. Well, there are some interesting powers that they show in this movie, and it's like just kind of in the background, just like very casual. They don't use them all the time. They rarely use their powers. Yeah, see, there's this power called psychometry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait. So that's... Like, they just show them using their powers as kind of like everyday life kind of things, but they don't overuse them or rely on them all the time. Now, I'm wondering, in, say, the Vampire the Masquerade RPG setting, vampire powers use up blood. So it, like, the more you use the powers, the more you have to feed. So maybe they're not using their powers very much because that would, like, accelerate their need to eat. And they're trying to kind of be conservative with their intake because it's becoming harder and harder to get good blood. Yeah, food scarcity. I think that makes sense to me. Yes. There's also some interesting ways that this movie (laughs) plays with vampire lore in ways where we're not really sure if what's happening is vampiric, like, weakness or social custom. Because when Eve gets to Adam's house, she doesn't come in right away until he invites her in. Yeah. But, like, it's not really clear if that's a vampire needing to be invited in thing or if they're just very old school in their virtue system, right? Like, she will not, she just won't come in until she's invited and she wants kind of the pomp and circumstance. Yeah, and they also address that garlic isn't a concern anymore. Right. Well, like, that it was never really a concern, so. she's Ava mentions it as a joke to make fun of uh, Adam. Uh, cause he's kind of a Luddite and she's like, oh, what are you going to 
like avoid garlic now <laughs> and he's and eve's like don't keep talking about uh, mythology or something like that but then she admonishes Ava for just entering the house without being invited. And she said, it's very bad luck. Oh, OK. There we go. So I, I missed that line. So vampires can go wherever the fuck they want. Adam and Eve are just like. I think they're superstitious. Yeah, they're superstitious vampires, which I think is pretty cool. Like I think mm -hmm. that's a good use, especially because vampires like in stories are supposed to be old fashioned. Right. Even if they're more forward thinking. They're kind of old fashioned in their sensibility. Yeah. Their understanding of the world, the way the world works. Yeah. And they do have interesting customs, too. Yeah, they're progressive, but they definitely are comfortable in habits that they've picked up over living hundreds of years. Yeah. So they take some things and they leave others behind. So, yeah, they <laughs> yeah, like Eve. She's like old fashioned in like holding on to superstitions like this. But then she uses an iPhone. Right. <laughs> Adam has come up with this bizarre and I think like probably non-functional way of like talking to her through an old TV and a laptop while she's using her iPhone. An old laptop from like 2000 yeah. or something. That's like the newest piece of equipment he has in the house. Yes. His... Interest in technology is pretty much exclusively reserved for some amounts of like recording equipment because Adam is a musician. Right. Like a really accomplished musician who was like feeding symphonies to Chopin. Yeah. That's right. But he still records primarily on records. Yeah. That's true. He uses uh, reel to reel recording tapes and stuff he has yeah. a preference for stringed instruments he has violins and cellos and lutes and uh guitars and stuff like that probably somewhat due to tom hiddleston being able to play those instruments <laughs> probably yeah he was clearly playing them in the footage he relearned how to play a few instruments he like brushed up on a few instruments and also learned how to play a few new stringed instruments, which I think once you like if you play guitar, it's probably a little bit easier to pick up loot and such. Yeah, I would think so. Um, yeah. Some of the other customs are interesting, like they wear gloves whenever they're out in public and um, you don't want to get infected with dirty human stuff. And they, yeah. it's it's a matter of politeness of asking if you can remove your gloves when you enter somebody else's space. Right. There's an intimacy to it. Yeah, there is. It's showing that you're comfortable around the person, that you respect them, and that you're close to them, you know? And you can never take off your sunglasses in public. <laughs> well, at night, their eyes kind of glow. So they wear sunglasses to cover that up when they're around humans. It's so they can, so they can <laughs> see the light that's right before their eyes, obviously. <laughs> yeah. That's right. And, uh, I figured it has something to do with like nocturnal vision, the way like cat's eyes can reflect the light sort of thing. Yeah. Because they're nighttime hunters, right? Yeah. Yeah, they do the vampire thing where they have to sleep during the day and they are out and about at night. Yeah. More like they get to sleep during the day. Am I right? Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> and they do need to live on blood. They only drink blood. That's their main sustenance. However... Like we touched on already, uh, they get their blood from a blood bank. 
there's a funny line where Ava drinks Ian and they're like, it's not the 1700s anymore, Ava. Come on. What the <laughs> <Right>. fuck? <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're like, it's the 21st century. She's like, yeah. you didn't even have your blood spoon on the right side of the of your plate. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. They were getting on her case for like having blood all over her face. That would yeah. be funny if like there was a proper side of like the body to drink from. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That would be funny. That would be funny. Um, like, oh, you, you drank from the right side of his neck, you fucking <laughs> savage. I don't know. It wasn't just about, like, how uncouth it is to drink from an actual person, but it was also about a health as- aspect for them because Ava was like, oh, I drank him. He was just so cute, but now I feel sick. And Eva's like, well, what did you expect? He's a rock and roll kid. <laughs> right. Yeah. That was, yeah, he was pretty hammered when she drank him. That's yeah. right. Uh, let's let's hop real quick into the theme of in-laws, am I right? <laughs> okay. okay. Ava is Adam's sister-in-law. Yeah, yeah. she's Eve's sister. Yes. Biological, I guess. Yeah. It says they're related by blood. She, but that could be a vampire thing. It could. That's right. Ava's arrival has been heralded by dreams in the vampire community. That's right. People know she's coming. Everybody that they know her. Well, so their friend Kit, who is Christopher Marlowe, the playwright who they say was the one who actually wrote the plays that uh, Shakespeare is credited for. Right. Right. And there are a lot of jokes about that in the movie. About Shakespeare being a hack. Well, they had, he was a friend of Adam and Eve's and they turned him into a vampire. So he's been alive for like 500 years. And, um, they're like art collectors in that they collect their favorite artists. It's true. Found family. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, he was the first one to say he had a dream about Ava. And then Adam said he's been having dreams about her. And then Eve admits that she has too. So it's all these premonitions. That's right. And then Eve shows up. Una- like, I would say unannounced. But <laughs> <laughs> she sent the dream. Unwanted. Unwanted. She's in Adam's house listening to his private music collection and he's been pretty upset about the idea of her coming and then feels like his privacy is immediately invaded. Yeah, they were like, where have you been living? And she's all L.A. And Adam's like, oh, great. Zombie Central. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in this movie, they call humans zombies, which I love. Yeah. They have very little respect for us, which I also love. <laughs> That's right. And Ava consistently is like go like drinking all their blood and they won't tell her where it is because it's pretty clear she's just going to drink it all carelessly. It, she, it's very much played or, or coded as kind of like a drug habit. Yeah, come on, guys. We all know an Ava, am I right? <laughs> she's sort of shown as like a like a reckless partying alcoholic. Yeah, yeah. she's a fuck up vampire. Kind of a freeloader. <laughs> she... Brutal description, but yeah, you hit the nail <laughs> through the coffin. <laughs> yeah, and she kills Ian. Yeah, which is fucked up. I liked Ian. And Ian was doing something that was not okay to Adam. Yeah, Adam is a musician who releases music kind of like under the radar 
And Ian has been selling it, which Adam seems to not like, but he also seems to kind of let it go. So I feel like, I mean, Adam is a study in contradictions, right? Yes. Like he will often say one thing and his actions will undermine what his words mean. Yeah. So like, I feel like Ian, I, you know, obviously doesn't deserve to be drinking by Ava right. for this. And like, even Adam's like, well, it's fine. Or maybe even kind of he wants it. No, he was telling uh, Ian that he had to go because he knew it was dangerous. Well, I think he knew it was dangerous because of Ava. Yeah. But I'm saying, like, I think he would have let the whole thing go with Ian selling his music. Oh, yes. Yeah, it seemed like he wasn't happy about it, but he actually did like Ian. And, you know, there was a little bit of tension, like, uh-oh, is Ian in danger? <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> he probably wasn't from Adam. No, I don't think so. No, Adam was would probably have let it go. Yeah. Talk to him or just let it go entirely. Yeah, he really liked Ian. Adam doesn't really like conflict. Yeah. Which I understand. He's very passive aggressive when he's displeased with somebody. He's a big picture kind of guy. And I think a huge source of his depression comes from like the lack of insight that he perceives in the world. Yes, he's very dissatisfied with the state of existence globally. He says, like, I can't stand these zombies and they're they're afraid of their own imaginations. Yeah, he definitely considers himself this, like, high-minded intellectual. Mm-hmm. He's inspired by kooky geniuses. Yeah, so I want to touch on that because we were talking about the Christopher Marlowe thing. Adam is like, oh, I don't really like care about any creative people or like have any like idols or anything. That's just not me. Any heroes. And then Eve finds his wall of like black and white photos of famous people and like paintings. (laughs) It's his wall of heroes. And it's just like, (laughs) okay, that's what I was saying. Like he says things that are belied by his actions. Right. right? And like, let's go over some of the people on his wall, right? Like, he's got Marlowe. Yeah. Einstein. Nikola Tesla. Tesla. There was a wild one on there. Who was it? Rodney Dangerfield. Rodney Dangerfield is on Adam's fucking wall of like, spotted it. Genius heroes. (laughs) Rodney Dangerfield. It's a little... That's pretty brilliant. He gave him some respect. Um, finally he also had edgar Allan poe yeah of course Mm -hmm. now if he had dangerfield is a good choice i would have had carlin yeah but i know you would have classic (laughs) yeah but the idea that adam likes rodney dangerfield's humor is wild to me it's pretty amazing (laughs) then again like this is a movie about like oh like the celebrities you know weren't necessarily the one like had maybe secret skills or whatever, like Adam giving Chopin uh, music and Marlowe like writing Shakespeare's plays. Maybe Rodney Dangerfield was like a brilliant physicist and we just don't know that about him. And Adam does. (laughs) Could have been it. Yeah, because he loves music and art, but also science. Yeah. And, um, those are all the people that he is drawn to who uh, are 
creative geniuses or scientific geniuses. <laughs> like Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah. Exactly. And Adam, paying attention to science over the years, being inspired by a lot of the forward thinkers, has his home powered independently from the grid yeah. using technology like theoretical theoretical technology powered by the microwave radiation that is just given off by the universe background radiation yeah and that is wild i'm pretty sure he said it was based on specifications designed by tesla i think so yeah oh yeah yeah now part of this interest slash obsession with like great minds has also led to a chunk of Adam's depression too, though. Right. Because he has this whole speech about how there were all these brilliant scientists who were persecuted for being ahead of their time. Yeah. And that has caused this just devastating ennui in Adam. He he's lost hope. That's for sure. Yeah. It doesn't seem like he is willing to try, try again with that sort of thing. He's seen like Copernicus be persecuted, Socrates be persecuted, like all these people with great thoughts and and great, what we think of as great minds, at least. And he's just like, you know what? They always just end up getting killed or attacked, and I'm just over it. That's right. And the funny thing about this perspective is sort of like Dracula from the Castlevania animated series. Being alive that long and accumulating knowledge, you are sort of like a living legacy and library of knowledge that has been accumulated over the years. Adam literally built a ma the machine that could yeah. do that. And it does not seem like he has ever attempted to pass that invention along. No. And so it's like, yeah, sure. You're like complaining that humanity doesn't always carry itself but it doesn't seem like he has faith that he can be a part of the growing process because he could like anonymously donate that technology or something yeah it's just simply not a plot point it doesn't seem like something he would ever consider since he sees himself as so removed from humanity true but he cares a lot about him yeah, I mean, he says he doesn't like people, so that we know that that means that he kind of does like people. Yeah, I think it's just he's given up hope. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Well, it's because he cares so he cares so much about it that he has been very disappointed. True, and so he tries not to care about it, but it's really clear that he does. And this is kind of shown in the movie through the dialogue like we've talked about, but also through his general demeanor, the way he's played by Tom, and then also his wardrobe. He's, oh, are we on a first-name basis with him now? <laughs> um, he's yeah. dressed all in dark clothing, mostly black. Classic <clears throat> goth. He's got yes. dark black hair. He's sallow because he never goes outside. Well, that's, that's a health uh, concern for him. No, he's a vampire. That's what I'm saying. It's a health concern. He can't go outside in the sun and get a tan. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Eve, on the other hand, is usually in light colors, mostly white. And she has light blonde hair, almost white mm -hmm. hair. And Real Tilda Swinton type. She, <laughs> uh, she's the opposite of him. She 
loves life. She loves her long life. She just gets to enjoy the world. Yeah. She actually is reveling in having an extended life. She just gets to read. And it's really interesting, the scenes where these different perspectives clash. Yeah. There's one scene in particular where... Eve finds the wood, the gun with the wooden bullet that Adam had designed to use on himself. Yeah. Right. And she confronts him about it and they begin having a discussion on like, what is there really to live for? And that's where we get their perspectives where he says that like nothing ever changes and that things yeah. don't work out in this world run by the zombies it feels like they're powerless, right? Yeah. And they're just going through the motions of being alive. And she shoots back that slice of unlife energy where it's like, hey, we can like dance. You yeah. Know? Listen to music. You make music. Let's enjoy it. Right. Yeah. And she says, you always miss the point. It's not about yourself. It's about enjoying the world. Yeah. And. She's also like, she says a funny line about like, you make music. That's great. You have these inventions. Love, you've done well in the love department. Then she's referring to herself. Yeah, that's a cute line. It yeah. is cute. It's funny because, you know, we have Adam as our perspective character, of course, who we mostly follow through the film. But Eve is the one who I think gives us the perspective that we're supposed to kind of understand as the more... I don't want to say the more valid one, the one that we should strive for as the audience. It's like an ideal, yeah. Like, we should want to be more like Eve than like Adam. That's right. There's there's a cool balance in here of sort of like logic, being married to emotion sort of thing. They sort of are opposites, but they overlap in some beautiful ways. Yeah, they share a lot of common interests. They both love music and literature. Yeah. And and they just like each other. Yeah. That's right. And in that scene where she has confronted him and she puts on his music and begins to dance, she reaches for his hand and he's still like emotionally raw. He's like sitting there kind of closed up. But he takes her hand and it's clear that as she's like dancing to his music, he's sort of softening up. She's lightening the mood. Yeah. She's the one who started this confronta this confrontational situation. Yeah. And she pulls him out of it, too, by lifting him up. He smiles. He starts dancing with her. Yeah. And that is really nice because she's angry and she's scared and she's sad for him. And he's feeling a lot of emotions, too. But she's the one who also pulls him away from those sad feelings. Rather than just telling him what he has to live for, she tries to show him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's really great. She isn't, like, berating him for feeling his feelings. She's just challenging him. Yeah. And, you know, she... She does say, like, you're wrong about this sort of thing. But, you know, it's pretty it's a pretty tense situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she is the support that he needed. He was isolating himself. Yeah. And then kind of an interesting inversion at the end of the movie, because, you know, he has this wooden bullet made of this really hard wood. And at the end of the film, she buys him a new loot made of the same type of wood. 
Yeah. And it's the it's a symbol of why he should live. Exactly. Yeah. And he kind of like, even though they're in a really tough spot without food, without access to easy sustenance, it does kind of symbolize that they have hope. He's found this new musician that he's really interested in. Yeah, Yasmin. And doesn't she say, like, let's turn her or something? Or is that later on with the couple? It's with the couple. Okay. We kind of get this idea that he's going to have, like, maybe something he can do in Tangiers and, like, he can be a part of a music scene, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. He has community, he has love, and he has reasons to live and things to enjoy at the end. And, guys... You know, we have a pretty great community, too. Oh, yeah? You think so? Yeah. Oh, yeah? Give us an example of why that is. (laughs) Well, it's on Patreon. Oh, whoa. Yeah, we have patrons that help support the show. And that's how they show their love for what we do. And if you have the means and you want to show us that kind of love and support the show... You could head over to patreon.com slash swords and satire and join our community there. That's right. People who sign up for our Patreon get to vote on movies we watch every month. And if you sign up for a higher tier, you start getting access to some sweet bonus episodes. Some bonies, as I call them. Yeah, some of them are like rewriting history movie pitch episodes. That's where we come up with a sequel, a reboot, a spinoff, or a crossover of a movie we've talked about before. And uh, sometimes there's outtakes episodes we release on there whenever we get around to it. Now, I believe that our show is perfect and is uh, (laughs) presented to the audience in the exact same form we recorded it in. But maybe there's some outtake material. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff, actually. And we get some sporadic art postings, be it ducks, be it fun movie posters, be it anything. Yeah. Guys, duck movie posters. Oh, shit. That's right. That's next level. We just love putting these things out here for you guys. It's the way we show our appreciation for the people that give us that extra support. And um, it helps keep the show going. That's right. So thank you to all of our current patrons. And we hope some of you out there listening feel the call. That's right, patrons. You stab something into our hearts, but it's not a steak. It's love. Aww. And a little bit of money. Ow. In, in the heart? Ouch. I don't know if that's healthy. Ooh. Uh, but now, back to our discussion. So, there's another thing I wanted to talk about, and that's kind of how this movie is something of a pre-apocalyptic story. Interesting. What does that mean? Tell us more. (laughs) It's kind of like how this sense of like dread that's kind of just in the background. It's part of the environment of the film where you get this sense that there's an impending apocalypse that you cannot stop. Oh, you mean like in reality? Yeah, exactly. They are predicting conflicts to come and there is increasing struggle around human survivability and vampire survivability. Yeah, it's right. They talk about the oil wars of the past few decades or centuries and then they see that like things are growing out of season 
because of climate change. Yeah, it's interesting because it reinforces kind of two character qualities slash themes revolving around Adam of like, he has this predictive power to kind of see what's coming maybe through cycles, but he also doesn't pay attention. So he doesn't know he's not like watching the news, right? He's not keeping up with what's actually happening. Yeah. So he asks Eve, Oh, have the water wars started yet? Or, th- or is it still the gas wars? She's the one who's informed. So I think that's well, why. She's, she's a worldly vampire. She yeah. goes to coffee shops. She mm-hmm. like has contacts and relationships. Like we juxtapose Adam's relationship to Ian, which is kind of transactional with E's relationship to Bilal, who is Christopher Marlowe's apprentice. Yeah. Or protege. Yeah. Which is, and there's a much more jovial and conversational. He calls uh, Marlowe his teacher and seems to feel kind of a reverence for him and a deep respect. It's really cute. Yeah. It's really nice. And it, Bilal hasn't even been turned. He's no, not a vampire. No. no. He's an aspiring writer. He he seems to be a very sensitive soul. Yeah. He is. A very sweet guy who can see a vampire and see the beauty that that can supply. Yeah, gee, what a what a uh what a legend. A guy who wants to be a vampire, a guy who can accept the vampire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But let me rephrase it just in a way to simplify. Bilal is such an ally. <laughs> <laughs> He's supportive. True. He sees he sees the beauty in this hidden group. Yes. Even though Eve kind of holds up in her room a lot reading, she also is of the world. She'll go out on her balcony. She'll watch what people are doing. She's curious about humans. Well, yeah, I mean, another juxtaposition. The only times Adam goes out, he is fully covered up. Yes. Like he dresses up as a doctor to go to the hemoglobin factory. Well, he is going to a hospital. <laughs> it's to it's a practical disguise to get in undetected, but it also is a barrier to keep other people at bay. And it's like a poorly executed one because they point out that the stethoscope he's carrying is from like the 60s. Yes. And even after hearing that, he still doesn't stop using it. No, because he's a creature of habit. Yeah, and other doctors look at him, and it—it's pretty clear there's something sus. About I love him. how you said other doctors as if Adam is also a doctor. <laughs> he could have been a doctor at some point. He could have been, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but doctors look at him, and it's just that sense of like they see something is not quite right. Yeah, but it's not—it's not. It's not clear enough at first glance that they can stop him. Yeah. (laughs) But like Adam will only go out in disguise to not be known or have like the one person Ian come to his house. He does go out to the club eventually, but he's very hesitant to do it. But it's not because vampires need to hide themselves because Eve just goes out the coffee shops and walks down the streets of Tangiers and just is living it up. So it's not a necessity thing. It's because of his own personal idiosyncrasies. Yeah. He has an aversion to people while Eve is attracted to them. Yes. And she creates deeper, meaningful relationships with people. Definitely. And like Adam loves scientists and artists. 
mm-hmm. but like he kind of acts too cool for them. It's true, but there is someone who he is really taken by in the movie. It's that musician in Tangier at the end. Yes, I mean, that's the one. Who, I mean, granted, amazing singing voice, awesome song. Yeah. Love them. I mean, just the music in this movie is great from top to bottom. And then this haunting vocal kind of draws him in. Like, it's funny, right? Because we have the vampire being kind of seduced in a way. Yeah. By her music. And we kind of have a music break in the last like 10 minutes of the film. And the pacing uh, of this film is strange, but works. Yeah. And so you just like watch her perform this song near the end and you're in Adam and Eve's perspective. They're watching her from the doorway. Right. And, uh, he just says, oh, she was an amazing artist. He doesn't call her a zombie or anything. Right. Oh, good catch. Yeah. And he seems to have a lot of respect for her. And Eve says, oh, yeah, she'll probably be famous someday. And he's like, oh, God, I hope not. She's way too good for that. <laughs> he, Cynical motherfucker. He is kind of an elitist snob. Oh, very much so. This like, is all while they are dying because they can't eat. They're starving. Okay. That's I mean, dying. They, may, they may die or they may they may grab a snack. They may grab a snack on the way home. Oh, they found a snack already. Yeah, they did. So it's kind of like you have this general feeling like of degradation, of things falling apart, entropy, the senescence of the world. Like they're talking about water wars coming and like things are polluted. They their their food supply is polluted in general. They have to be very careful. Kit dies because he drank poison blood. Right. Microplastics. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's a very strong environmentalist message of the film. Which is common throughout Jarmusch's films. I was about to say the exact same thing. Them talking to mushrooms growing out of season, the blood becoming tainted as people are sort of polluting it. Talking about water wars and stuff like that in general, just sort of a reflection of the state of the world. There's the poop pit in the environment. <laughs> That's right. Just an acid pit in an old Detroit like car factory or whatever. It's like a parking lot, isn't it? Something like that. Oh, but Eve does say, oh, this place is going to thrive again in a few decades. Yeah, because once water starts to become scarce, people are going to flock Oh, she said once the South is on fire, people right. will flock to this region because there's water here. So they're in Detroit, so near like the Great Lakes and everything. Yeah. Like yeah. A, a, a relatively hydrated environment will be lively. And she's excited about it. Mm-hmm. Th- where, of course, we know that for Adam, that is like he came here to avoid people. So for him, that would be a terrible thought. Well, it's like even though Eve loves people... She is still detached because she is so old and she's had to, like, see friends and loved ones come and go so many times in, like, civilizations rise and fall. She's a little bit detached uh, about the fact that there's going to be this scarcity of water and, like, it's going to cause all these problems for humans. She's more, like you're saying, excited about the fact that this one area is going to thrive. Yeah, she just doesn't care about lives. She cares about experiences. In a way, she's kind of a classic millennial. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, 2,000 years old. Yeah. 
One of those old millennials. <laughs> She's an elder millennial. <laughs> Truly elder. <laughs> Primordial millennial. <laughs> so I want to ask you guys a question before we move on. And we've touched on this a bit, but why don't Adam and Eve live together? Marlo asks Eve that, and she just kind of looks pensive and does not respond. And it's she does, dodges. It is something that nags at me. I've seen this movie like three or four times. Um, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> like we've touched on this idea that for them, it's kind of a blip. But like, why live so far apart, especially as vampires, when it is very challenging to travel? Because they have the means financially to kind of do whatever they want, but the physicality of traveling for them is daunting because they more or less can't eat eat while traveling. They have to only come and go during the night. It's very difficult for them to get to. If you get on a delayed flight, you're fucking dead. (laughs) That's right. It seems like part of it is just that they, they prefer different lifestyles. At times, she enjoys traveling, and there have been times where he's enjoyed traveling as well, but not at the moment. And he's in a rut at this point in the film. True. It could be that they're in a particular cycle in their relationship, yeah. It might be healthier for their relationship to not live together until they kind of get pushed to this desperation point. Yeah, because... They live hundreds of years. And if you think of the like marriage dynamics that would have to take place in that sort of scenario, I can't really imagine. (laughs) There is some allusion to the fact that they might have an open relationship. Um, Well, they're vampires. Yeah. And you would think they would need to have something like that. Like, Jack, you're saying like the dynamics would be so different because they live for so long. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they need a diversity of experience in order to keep their eternal life sort of going. Tolerable, even. Yeah. Through all of it, though, they have this deep love for one another that is enduring. That's right. And so they spent effectively a lifetime apart just now. Yes. And then met up again because 80 years... Yeah. That's a lot more than a ton of people get. Yeah, it's interesting to think, like, when they first broke, not broke up, when they first split off, like, they had to communicate by, like, letters, right? And now they yes. have phones and Adam's bizarre, like, configuration. configuration. Like, they have a way to actually communicate in a more intimate way. And she contacts him for the first time in decades, and he's, like, desperate to see her face. Yeah, so true. Yeah. Whatever caused them to want to split, I think it was amicable. They just needed some space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just to kind of live their different lives for a while. I think she couldn't. Resp- I think Eve couldn't answer Kit because it's complicated, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. No easy answer to that one. They seem like a good couple. Yeah. Yeah. They do seem like they go well together. And so this is probably just some sort of boundary that they've set as part of their relationship so that they can thrive. Yeah, they going back to what I was saying, they were talking about uh, somebody they both used to know, a mutual acquaintance. And Adam says she was such a beautiful woman. And you can hear in his voice like longing. Yeah. And like he probably knew her in a more intimate way 
in a biblical way. Yeah, and Eve Eve just smiles and at him really huge, like the biggest, like a very genuine grin. And she's like, I bet she was. Yeah. <laughs> she's excited for him. Yeah. Also, at the end of the movie, there's that other married couple. Well, there's that other, they're not married, they're making out. Yeah, yeah, they're a couple for sure. And Adam and Eve are like, yeah, we're gonna turn them all right. Yeah. And then. Oh, uh, Eve says like, oh, we're just gonna turn them right. And Adam is like, oh, you're so romantic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he doesn't disagree. Because <laughs> well, she loves life. Yeah. And Adam is like, I forget the line that led up to it, but Adam Adam calls dibs on turning the woman. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. He's like, well, I get I get to turn her or something. Yeah, he's pretty hetero, it seems. Yeah, and, but it it's sort of like a poly thing. I feel like they saw a couple they thought was hot, and yeah. they're like, let's go turn them. Sure. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely like a swinger poly thing. Yeah, and um, she just kind of looks at him like interested curious but not like anything more than that she's not not into it yeah yeah exactly she doesn't really say anything and then the next scene is like her speaking to them in french she initiates turning them yeah she's the one who walks up and starts talking to them yeah and then you just see them in their like predatory vampire state their eyes like... glowing and their teeth out and they're lunging at them yeah they do not look well <laughs> they, can, no. they can move very fast we forgot to mention that that is why I, I wonder like do they turn them or do they let the bloodlust kind of go because they're starving like Cass said we don't know like it's, for, it's up to the audience's interpretation yeah I mean they even through all that they have incredible restraint they aren't just attacking anybody they see no that's true but once they let in who knows they're still themselves but yeah it's hard to say I like to think that they turn the couple, but you tell us what you think in the comments. Go. <laughs> did they turn them? Did they? Not? Yeah, I, it's, uh, I guess go on to our social media and leave us a comment. That's never gone bad for anybody. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I think we said quite a bit about this film. Why don't we head into the Smithy? Welcome to the Smithy, where we each forge a rating for this movie after we share an epic moment or feature from the film. Jack, do you want to tell us your epic moment or feature and then give the rating from one to ten fangs? Yes. We did teeth last week. This week, fangs. Okay. Zombies and vampires in love? Wow. Yes. <laughs> I guess my epic moment or feature has got to be just adam and eve's relationship in general oh nice. it's just it's just really well written i believe that these people like each other on like a romantic and intellectual level yes yeah like their conversations they play off of each other really well and I like the way that they can shift each other's perspectives and educate each other, the way they both grow as a result of knowing each other. Yeah, it's like they finish each other's... Sandwiches. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, yeah, it's nice to see how excited they are to be seeing each other again after all this time. It's nice to see them like laying in bed together, uh, like the dynamics with with Ava is just like, oh, please try to tolerate my sister. And then it doesn't go well. And like, well, it happened. <laughs> Dealing with the sometimes, aftermath. Sometimes your sister kills your buddy. It's just it's just a thing that we go through. That's right. Uh, Adam comforting Eve over the loss of Kit. And just them like sticking through it together. I think it's really great. And the way she she buys him the loot. It's just... With his money. Yeah, but it's clearly that they know each other and they love each other and they can still learn more from each other. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. It's awesome. And and you know what? That's epic. And when it comes to the movie as a whole, you know I'm a sucker for slice of life media. Yep. True. I, I really like the way this movie just... Is that, you know, there isn't a, like an overarching plot. It's just following these characters. There's not a lot of like gore or anything like that. No, you're just seeing what it's like for these people. The conflict is more existential, even though Ian dies. That's right. The conflict is more existential. And that was something I thought was interesting. Because when I often think of long lived beings and a lot of what Adam was struggling with was like existential stuff. And in an ideal world, in my mind, you would have been able to deal with that stuff by the time you're like, like 800 years old. Right. (laughs) But we go through cycles in our life of when we're doing good and when we're doubting and needing support. Yeah. You know, we have our highs and our lows. And I guess in this movie and a lot of vampire media, they, it's not easy being a vampire. No, it's not easy being fanged. No. And so I like I like the slice of life vampire with the more like pensive vampire. It was a cool dynamic. And uh, yeah, uh, if I have to give the movie a rating out of 10. You do. It's the law. Uh, I'm, I think I will. I'll probably give this movie nine out of 10 fangs. Ooh, wow. And that is like a some sort of like shark type of vampire. <laughs> I was going to say, it's a little lopsided. That's okay. Yeah, well, you know, maybe they chip a tooth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the movie is quirky in a really good way. Yeah. It is. It knows what it wants to be, and it did it just right. The only reason I dock it a subjective point is because the pacing is kind of quirky. It picks what it wants to focus on in order to deliver a vibe. Yes. A tone like the way it will show long shots of Yasmin singing at the end. I liked that. There was the band in the bar. It lingered on that and that was cool. It lingers on his music early on. But there are some shots where it is pulling your focus to something in order to establish that vibe. And sometimes it's just a little longer than always has to be fair enough and it's just like sometimes when it is hammering in uh, a theme i kind of got it already and so nine out of ten it's basically a masterpiece even though it didn't get a flawless score in my mind 
I'm looking forward to seeing this again. This is probably a classic right out the gate. Yeah. Highly recommend it. Nine out of ten fangs. Nice. All right. What about you, Cass? What's your epic moment or feature? And then you're rating from one to ten fangs. My epic moment is when Yasmin is singing near the end. Oh, very nice. Yes. Cool. It's because it represents a hopeful moment. Even though some things seem to be falling apart, people are still being creative and making connections and creating art. And I find that to be hopeful. Also, the song of the banger. Mm-hmm. So cool and atmospheric. It tells you you have you can always have something to look forward to and help keep you going. And it, it works for the characters too, Adam and Eve. And after that is when they decide to just try to go for it and bite somebody to see if they're going to live or grab not. Grab a bite. <laughs> go grab a bite. It's kind of like they're dying anyway. They may as well try. <laughs> Have you tried living for once in your goddamn life? Today's the day. <laughs> so I like what it represents. And also it's a cool scene. Uh, she's got an amazing voice. The woman and it, her name is Yasmin. Whoa. <laughs> and um, it's a really cool scene. It's like a nighttime cafe. And I love that. It's a slightly raised platform not far away from the audience so it's very intimate feeling mm -hmm. and she's like barefoot on a sweet like persian carpet yeah it's very cool and her the guys playing the instruments around her seem very chill and like they look kind of like traditional guys but they're in this band with her and she's dressed more like a rocker yeah kind of like this moroccan rock and roll vibe which i totally dig yeah. like leather pants and like a tank top but also some kind of traditional like jewelry and stuff yeah. very cool yeah yeah the like the jewel in between the eyes the sort of like coins that are on like a sash around her yeah. waist yeah it's uh, it's pretty cool she has the the circles on the palm of her hands yeah she had henna tattoos yeah yeah um, so yeah, it was very aesthetically pleasing too. So that's my epic moment. As a whole, I think that this movie works really well. I, the pacing works for me. Nice. I, I like the slow plotting pacing. It, it's similar to the music that Adam creates. It is. You just really get a sense of like really living in each moment and luxuriating. In it, it's similar to the way that the vampires react to drinking this O negative blood. <laughs> right, where they have these like kind of trip moments, yeah, trip out moments. They like lay back. It's almost like uh, opium. Yeah, their fangs start coming out, and they're like, yeah. oh, yeah. They almost have like an orgasm. Um, Umami. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just saying, like. This movie is like an intellectual orgasm. <laughs> so I'm going to give it a 10 out of 10. Nice. What about you, Jamie? What's your epic moment or feature and your rating from 1 to 10 fangs? Yeah, tell us, Jamie, please. I'm going to tell you my epic moment. Thank God. <laughs> 
I just get a kick out of the scene right after Ian dies. Yeah. And his body is just kind of laying on Adam's couch. Yes. And like Adam is bummed, but not the way that you'd be bummed if your friend died. He's bummed the way that you'd be bummed if like your sister-in-law came over, (laughs) got wasted and like broke your TV. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, you know, like knocked over an expensive lamp that you really liked. Like he's just like he's bummed. Like he's not mad. He's he's mad. They kick her out. They like throw her to the curb and are just like, get the fuck out of here, which like I understand it's tough. But when you have like a real like train wreck of a person in your life and you just don't have a solution to it like sometimes you just need to detach yeah yeah and that subverts so much expectation of vampires because you typically expect vampires to be really violent yeah with media the it doesn't seem like adam's gonna kill ian when he finds out about the music thing yeah and when ava drinks ian they don't like fight her. She doesn't yeah. like swear vengeance on them. They just kick her out yeah. and they yell at each other and she leaves. She's like, you guys are dicks. Like, elitist dick. Yeah, she calls them snobs. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Like, in another vampire movie, it's always so edgy. It would be like, oh, we're going to like leave you out in the sunlight as punishment for your crime. It was like, no, just like, we don't want to deal with your shit anymore. Like, you got to go. Please go away. You're problematic <laughs> sibling. Yeah. yeah. And then, like, Adam just sits down, just kind of defeated next to Ian. Is like, she drank Ian, man. And he's just, like, he, bummed. He's also cradling the guitar she broke. Oh, that's right. She, like, smashed his records, broke his guitar. He's almost more, like, he's definitely upset that, Ian's dead, but he's also pretty bummed about this guitar. And just, I love the shot of him sitting down next to the corpse of Ian, just being like, man, this sucks. It's more like a kid who drops their ice cream cone on the ground. <laughs> That's right. Ian was the ice cream cone <laughs> of this movie. Yeah. Um, real treat. He was a real treat. Oh, and I miss Anton Yelchin. Yeah. Oh, he was a great actor. Um. So yeah, I this, that moment gives me such a chuckle because it's yeah. so unexpected. And Jack, your point that like this so subverts the usual vampire tropes is so spot on. Because I kept anticipating some violent conflict. <laughs> it never. Happened. There's never violent conflict. No. They, them being vampires is so incidental to everything. It's yeah. Just like, yeah, it's just another fact of existence. Yeah. They're just like people. I mean, yeah. they're just struggling with some other more unique things. Yeah. So my introduction to Jim Jarmusch was coffee and cigarettes, which is a very weird series of vignettes that he'd been working on for a long time and has kind of put them together into a single film. This is the second movie I saw by him. And then the more recent film, The Dead Don't Die another uh film that i really enjoy like these are three of my favorite movies yeah and i think for me only lovers and the dead don't die are pretty well tied which i guess is me revealing my score for the dead don't die when we eventually cover that probably later this year yeah they'll forget maybe <laughs> hopefully but because this movie is so 
interesting and shot in such an interesting way and the storytelling is good and like i totally get jack's point but i'm with Cass. for me and you guys know i get bored in a movie that's like overly long with a bunch of bullshit yeah it never bores me like even the long shots these dark kind of surreal detroit ruins basically and yeah. like the way that it incorporates history and they like go into this old theater that like Henry Ford built and it's a car park now. Yeah. And they're just like explaining the history of it and lingering with these interesting shots. And we're seeing these kind of behind the scenes, behind the curtain views of the city that is in a state of effectively decay. Right. Mm -hmm. For now, for now, these burned out houses, these crumbling edifices, and it's just glorious. So I am definitely going to be giving this movie 10 out of 10 fangs. It's one of my favorite films. It works for me. I feel like I am the ideal audience for it in so many ways. I think the acting is outstanding. The music is just beautiful. Yeah. And I am going to hunt down the soundtrack so I can actually like listen to it out of context and in context. And I'm really looking forward to seeing it again. And I was glad to share it with you, Jack, because I actually thought that we had seen this movie together before. So, no. Yeah. (laughs) So there you go. I'd be happy to show this movie to anybody because I love it that much. Me too. I'm definitely going to watch it again. And I'm excited for next week because it's kind of up in the air since it's going to be a patron poll we're going to be watching. That means you might be able to vote on what we watch. <laughs> if you act fast. Very fast. <laughs> or in future polls. Yeah. Yeah. So, Kaz, what's on that poll? Well, it's all about love beyond the grave. That's what I keep saying. So we've got My Boyfriend's Back. We've got Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. We've got Corpse Pride. Oh. And April Apocalypse. I know some of these movies. So we'll see what wins. Also, I read the book Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Oh, yeah. Well, cool. Yeah. Looking forward to it. If you want to find out what wins and what we're going to be covering, you could head over to social media. Uh, We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle is at Swords and Satire. That's right. If you want to check out the memes that we put up every week, catch up with what we're doing and reach out. Let us know what you think of the show. That's one of the best ways to do it. You could also check out our website, swordsandsatire.com. It'll have all the links there. There's some episodes on there that are some of our favorites and uh, some cool pictures of us. Get to know us a little bit better. That seems like a great idea for people who are interested in keeping up with the show. That's right. And we already discussed the matter of Patreon, but if you don't have a disgusting amount of wealth you've accumulated <laughs> over the centuries yeah. and you're lifeless lurking through this world, <laughs> <laughs> there are other ways you can support the show. Tell us, Jack. Yeah, I gotta know. Well, we don't really pay to advertise in any way so it's a great help if you spread word of our show by telling the people you care about about it you just walk up to everybody you meet on the street and go have you heard the good news yeah evangelize our show that's right (laughs) tell your friends tell your family 
don't think about the sort of sinister tones of everything we just said. Nope. <laughs> think about how art and community save people in this film and let it let it save you too. <laughs> let it inspire you to action. That's right. We really appreciate it. Well, guys, until next time. Hail Crom! Crom!